might turn that one down a little bit. All right, First Samuel chapter 3, if you got your Bible church, that's where we're going to be this morning. So this morning, we've been going through this series, uh, How Do I, right? This series about how do I have a personal relationship with God. Now, I want before we get started this morning, I want you to think back with me, and let's go back over the past couple weeks, because this is a, today, I hope a couple of things are going to start coming together for you in this series, because this morning, as I, was, as I was praying, I feel like this is the Sunday where everything we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks is going to start to click together in your mind, or at least I hope it does. So if you remember back uh, uh, the first week of this series, we preached through a text in Exodus 33 where Moses actually went into the tent of meat, right? And I challenged y'all in that text that when Moses went into the tent of meeting, what we saw in Moses in that tent of meeting when he was actually having a prayer life with God, having a conversation with God, I challenged y'all to think about it this way, that, that, that what we saw there was Moses having a real personal relationship with God. He was talking with God and he was hearing from God, right? And this morning, what I want us to do, last what we talked about, prayer this week what we're going to be talking about is how do I hear from God and so what I want you to see is that between last week and us praying to God and this morning and us talking about how we hear from God we're going to tie this together that by the time we leave here today I hope and pray that God is working and stirring in your heart so much that you feel like you have this you have the tools to have just as close a personal relationship with God as Moses had in that tent of meeting now you just heard that, but I want you to really think about what it would be like if tomorrow morning you woke up and you felt like you knew what you had to do or you knew that with the kind of heart you had to have to go sit down in your living room and sit at your living room table and say, God, please speak to me, and that you would have the same kind of relationship that, God, that Moses had with God where he talked with God like he was talking to a friend. That's what I want for us as we're leaving here today. And what we're going to be talking about today, well, that's what we talked about prayer. How do you talk to God? Today we're going to be talking about how do you hear from God, okay? Because, hey, listen, you can do all the talking in the world you want to, but if you don't know how to actually hear from God for yourself, then I hate to break it to you, but you don't have a personal relationship with God, right? be like me talking to my wife and her never talking back. Right? That's a one-sided relationship. That's how that relationship goes sometimes. Right? I just talk. No, I'm just kidding. Right? Don't tell her I said that. She'll kill me. Uh, but that's, a, that, that's where we're going today. And listen, I want to even take it a step further because I want you to understand that I want you to know how to hear from God. Okay? I want you in your own personal time, your own personal life, your own heart, your own soul, I want you to know how to hear from God. I don't want you to come in here every week and the only way you hear from God is through a preacher. Because you know what? You haven't heard from God. God might, God might touch your heart. God might speak to your soul. But you've heard from a man who's heard from God if that's how you're living your life, right? I want you to be able to hear from God on your own time. So that's where we're going this morning. Listen. I want you to understand how important this is because learning to obey, to hear God's voice and obey Him is probably, listen to me this morning, is probably the most important part of a relationship with God. Primarily because if you don't know how to hear from God, the Bible says you don't have a relationship with God. Let's look at uh, John 10, 27. I didn't even, uh, don't worry about putting this up on the screen. If you've got a Bible, you can just flip over there. John 10, 27, this is Jesus talking where he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Did you catch what Jesus said there? He said, if you are my sheep, if you are in a relationship with me, you will hear my voice, and you will know it's my voice, and you will follow me. 
The implication of that this morning is that if you do not know how to hear the voice of God, there is a serious problem in your relationship with God, and the chances are that problem is that you don't have a relationship with God. Hearing from God is of the utmost importance. So this morning, that's where we're going. And uh, so the question I have to ask is, do you know the voice of God? Have you ever heard from God in your own personal life? Have you ever heard God speak to you? And here's what you got to understand this morning. From the outset, I'm not going to give you a three-step plan to understanding how to hear from God. There is no three-step process that I could give you that if you go home and do those three things, that you're guaranteed to hear from God. This is not so much a process as it is developing a relationship. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, that looks a little bit different from person to person. Now, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of it today, and we're going, to tell you, I'm going to, we're going to go over some things that are not different from person to person, that they are the same no matter who you are or where you are or how old or young or what color you are, any of those things. We're going to talk about that. But oftentimes, it looks different from person to person. But here's what I really want us to do today. I want us to go through God's Word, and I want us to learn to put ourselves in a position to hear from God continually. You see, because there is no process to it. There is no one plus one equals two that's going to guarantee you to hear from God. But you can do things in your life to position yourself to hear from God, to have a personal relationship with Him. And what I want to do today is by the time you leave, I want, to, I want you to know how to position yourself before God. So if you've got your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to read this whole chapter, and then we're going, we're going to pray. Let me give you a little context, because the context of this chapter is really important, okay? So where we're, when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 3, what we find is that Israel is coming to the end of the period of the judges. Now, if you don't know, if you don't know your Bible history, what happens is, is after Israel comes out of Egypt, they've been delivered, they start set appointing judges to rule over them. And now, this was not a bright spot in Israel's time. Israel's history, okay? In fact, if you go back and read in Judges, Judges, what you'll find often is that the Bible describes Israel in the period of the Judges like this. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, right? Everybody was doing whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, however they wanted. And now when we come to Samuel, what we're going to see is that we're coming to the end of this time period. As a matter of fact, we're about to read about Samuel. Samuel was the last judge to ever rule over Israel. So we're coming to the end of the area here. And now Eli, Samuel is with the high priest named Eli. Now here's what you got to know about Eli. This is going to tie into the story later on. Eli is the high priest, but Eli is not a very good father. Okay? What we read about Eli is that Eli had sons that the Bible describes as worthless men. Okay? Now, I want to be described a lot of ways by God, but I don't really want to be called a worthless man. So that tells you a little bit about these sons' characters. So Eli is the priest, and Samuel is, is with him, and Samuel is learning under Eli. Samuel is living with Eli, but yet Eli is allowing sin to grow and fester in his own house. He has raised worthless men. And now what we're going to see as we dive into 1 Samuel 3 is that Samuel is a young boy and Eli is an old man and God's about to do something that he hadn't done in a long time. Okay, so let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, it says this. Now the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At, the time, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was laying down in his own place. 
That's really important. If you've got a Bible, you might want to underline he was laying down in his own place. Russ, can we put 1 Samuel 3 up on the screen? The whole chapter. Verse 3, it says, The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. Now, let me explain something to you real quick. Verse 3, it says, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. Okay? So I want you to get this right off the bat. Eli is laying down in his own place. Evidently, Eli's got his own little tent set up, and that's where he lays down, and he goes to sleep at night. Now, Samuel does not have his own tent. Samuel is staying in the tent of meeting. He is staying in the tabernacle where the ark of the Lord is. So what the Bible is trying to set up for you here is that there was a place called the tabernacle where the ark of the covenant of God stayed, all right? And now this ark is really important. It symbolizes the very presence of God. And so what the Bible is trying to set up for you here is that Samuel is staying in the place where God is staying. Is everybody catching that? So Eli's in his place, Samuel's in his place. And Samuel likes to be wherever God's at. It's setting that up. Verse 4. All right, it says, Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called You called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Did y'all catch that? Where did he lay down? In his place. Now, now, if you don't, if you don't really thinking about this, I, I, I told you how you should be thinking about this, right? Think about this with me now. Eli's laying down in his place. Did anybody catch where Eli's place was? Outside of God's presence. Now, the Bible's just told you that Samuel has his own place. Where is his place? It's with God. He's laying down. He goes and lays down in his place with God. Verse eleven, or verse ten, and say, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times. Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Matter of fact, let's start. Let's, let's, let's stop right there this morning. That's all, we need to, that's all we need to cover. Let's pray. God, I believe this morning that you want to do a great thing in this room, God. Lord, you choose uh, the most foolish of us to, 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 pro- to proclaim your word, dear God. And this morning, I know that's true of me, dear God. I am a, a flawed, sinful, but forgiven man, dear God. So I just pray this morning that you would allow me to be your messenger. And God, I pray that you would remove all distractions from this place so that we might glorify your name in a way that just that changes our lives here today, dear God. Speak to us and let us know you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so here, I, I, what I want you to do this morning is I want you to follow along with me. I'm going to give you a few things that we can learn from Samuel this morning that, that can put us in a position to start living our lives so that we can have the kind of relationship with God that Moses had with God. So I want you to, t- if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you some things to write down. And this is going to be how we position ourselves in such a way that we can hear from God, okay? Here's the first thing we've got to do. If we want to, if we want to learn to hear from God... How do I hear from God? The first thing we've got to do is we've got to understand what makes the word rare in our lives. So look at verse 1 with me one more time if you've got your Bible. It says, now the, boy, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was what in those days? 
It was rare in those days. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. So what I want you to see here is that the Bible tells us that in the time of the judges that the word of God was rare. What that means is God was not speaking to people a lot. It was, it was not common. Now, as I was thinking about this, the, the, the Bible tells us the word was rare in their lives. This is not only true for their lives. When I look around at our lives, what I see is that the word of the Lord is rare in our lives too. We live in a time, if you got your Bible, I want you to flip over to Amos 8, chapter 11. I want you to see this in the Bible itself. Amos 8, 11, Russ. He's going to do it real quick. Russ is real fast on my computer. Amos 8, 11. We live in a time that the prophet Amos summarized well. Let's read this verse together. Amos 8, verse 11. Give you just a second to get there. This is what the Bible says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. This is a prophet of God prophesying that there would be a day in the, in the, in the future of Israel where there was going to come a famine on the land, but they were still going to have plenty of water and they were still going to have plenty of food. What kind of famine is it? It's a famine of God speaking to his people. And the reality is, when I look at our lives, when I look at the life of our church, hear me now, I'm, I want to make this really personal. When I, when I look at the life of our church as a whole, Connection Church Millen, when I look at the life of the members in Connection Church Millen, and when I look at my life individually, I just see, man, that it's obvious that the word of the Lord is rare. We're like, we're like a people in the middle of a famine. We're literally starving for God's word. And the bad thing is we're hungry and we don't know what we're hungry for because we've got plenty of food and we've got plenty of water, but we hadn't heard from God in ages. And if there's going to be a difference in this church, is there, if there's going to be a difference, I've been praying this this morning, if there's going to be a difference in my life and in your life, the one thing that is a necessity that we've got to have is God speaking into us. The word of the Lord cannot be rare if we are going to live lives that glorify God. So as I was doing this, the, my, the question came to my mind, and we're tying all this together. So this is going to sound, we're, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. But as I was doing this, it came to my mind, why is the word of the Lord so rare in our life? What is it that makes the, the word rare? And I came up with a couple different things. The first one, the first reason I think the word of the Lord is rare for understanding why, what makes the word rare in our lives, the first thing I think is this, distractions. Distractions. One of the main reasons that God's Word is so rare in our life is that we have so busied ourselves with so many other things than God that we don't even care about the Word of God. And it's not intentional, but we've just added one thing to our calendar. And we've added one more app to our phone. And we've added one more show that we're going to watch once a week. And we've just put... Distraction after distraction after distraction. And I, so I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but you know, I, I had uh, my mind works in such a way that I just had to dig a little bit deeper. I got on Google. You know, you can find anything on Google. Praise God for Google. That's how, I don't know how preachers preach before Google, okay? But I got on Google and I, I Googled how much time does the average person spend on social media a week? Man, I'm going to hit y'all with Facebook again. But some of y'all are like, man, I wish you'd get off my Facebook app. Average person, this is the average adult now. Spends two hours a day on social media. Now, if you're a teenager, the average teenager spends nine hours a day. 
Wow. That's more time than the average teenager sleeps. Y'all realize that, right? How about the average adult? The average adult between the ages of 33 and 49 spends 33 hours watching TV every week. Which is... Chad said not him. I believe it with Chad. Chad probably didn't spend 20 minutes watching TV last week, right? But an average adult, 31 to 49, 33 hours of TV, that is just as much as a full-time work week almost. Watching TV, numbing our minds. And we wonder why we have not heard from God. Let me ask you something. What is it in your life that's become such a distraction that you're taking time away from God that you might devote to it? I, this work, I, I want to tell you how this has played out for, for me recently. This has actually been a couple years ago. But I noticed that I was not spending the kind of time with God that I thought I should spend. A couple years ago, I was, uh, we had um, Comcast television. And one of the things that God laid on my heart, and I may have told you all this story before, but, man, it, it just brings me back every time I think about distractions. One of the things that God laid on my heart was, man, I just watched way too much TV. I don't know if it was 33 hours a week a lot, but I just I felt like, man, I'm taking too much time away from Jenna. I'm taking too much time away from my family. I'm taking too much time away from the Word of God to be watching as much TV as I watch. So I just I made up in my mind that I was going to cut Comcast off. And I set Jenna down one day and I said, listen, we're going to cut cable off. This is the way it's going to go. She was like, yeah, that's fine. You're, you know, you do it. That would be good call them well so all right that's what we're gonna do it took me a week to call them first of all like i was like yeah i'm gonna cut them off tomorrow i don't the falcons are playing tomorrow i'm gonna cut it off tomorrow right then the next day it was man you know the blacklist is coming on tomorrow so i'm gonna cut it off next week right so it just it took me seven full days to call comcast i I eventually worked up the nerve to call comcast and y'all i'm telling you i've never experienced anything like it in my life i've never done any kind of drugs but i'm telling you it was like i was having a breakdown withdrawal I was like I was withdrawing from black tar heroin when I was on the phone with them I was sweating and I was just I mean I was like they said Mr. Wilson can we help you with anything and I said uh, uh, I'd like to cancel my tv services and I mean I'm, I'm pouring sweat like I'm having ADD drug withdrawals or something and I'm like no she said well Mr. Wilson you know we can uh, cut this price in half of you for the next year and I'm like yeah that sounds great no cut it off right Something came over me in such a big way because why? I was so attached to my distraction that I didn't want to let it go. And a lot of us, we got... God's not going to speak to you. 
where there is already systematic disobedience to what God has revealed to us, we should not expect a new work from God. Let me, let me put that for you in a simple way. If you are systematically, your life in general, as a whole, is living against the Bible, all right? You know what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says you should do and how you should live, but you are living against that. If that describes you, then God has revealed to you what he's expecting you to do. You have ignored it, and you should not expect a new work from God because you've been what he's already revealed. We cannot live in sin and expect to hear from God. So we've got maybe some distractions keep us from hearing the word of God. Maybe sin keeps us from hearing the word of God. I'll tell you something else that keeps us from hearing the word of God. When it boils right down to it, we don't hear from God because we don't care to hear from God. We've got so many other things that we'd rather do that when it boils down to it, God is lower on our list of priorities than all the other things. And now, a lot of times we just say, I've been busy, I've been busy, I haven't had time. That boils down to apathy because what you've told me is that there are other things higher on your priority list than hearing from God. For me, this plays out with the with the phrase that I throw at myself every probably three or four times a week. I'll just do it later. Anybody ever got up in the morning? You're supposed to read your Bible today. You're supposed to have a little time with God, a little prayer time, 15, 20 minutes. And the first thought that crosses your mind as the snooze goes off is I'll just do it later. What I've just told God is that I've got other priorities right now and they're not God. And we should not expect to hear from God when there is apathy dwelling in our so before anything this morning, if you want to put yourself in a position to hear the word of God, if you want to put yourself in a position to hear God speak to you, the very first thing that you need to do is you need to understand what makes the word of the Lord where in your life. What is it? Is it a distraction? Is it a sinful attitude? Is it apathy? Is it sin that you have not repented of? What is it in your heart that is keeping you from hearing the word of God? This morning, as I was preparing for this, I found a I had to go in the teacher's room that morning and find a pen. I didn't have a pen on. I had to write. I wrote down these words on the top of my phone. God, take me back. Because, guys, I remember a time in my life when these things weren't so much of an issue. I remember a time when I was so hungry for the Word of God that I would have laughed at the thought of an hour of television versus the Bible. Not recently. Not recently. And I am desperate. Like, man, as I was... It's funny how God, you preach whatever God wants to speak to you. I am desperate for God to take me back to a place where I am more hungry for the Word of God than for anything else. Amen. Understand what kills, what makes the Word ready in your life. That's number one. Number two is this. If you want to put yourself in a position to hear from God, number two, we must put ourselves in His presence. Read verse two and three of me one more time. It says, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And so, and I mentioned this before. Samuel, Samuel was lying down in the temple where the ark was, and I told y'all that the ark, the ark was in this place called the Holy of Holies. All right. Now let me make sure you understand what I'm talking about when I say the Holy of Holies. Where the ark was, where the presence of God dwelt, was considered to be so holy that no man or woman could go in there and live. 
So I know with pre on pretty good authority that Samuel was not inside the Holy of Holies because if he was, he would have been dead, okay? So the Holy of Holies is right here, and Samuel is lying down in the temple where the ark was. That tells me that he was probably as close to that Holy of Holies as he could get. So he had a little respect for God. He didn't want to die. But in his heart, he was so hungry to be next to God that he was going to do whatever it takes to get as close to God as he could. And what I see here is that Samuel teaches us a valuable lesson. And that lesson is this. If you're taking notes, write that down. To hear from God, we must be willing to continually put ourselves in God's presence. Now, I want you to hear this. The Bible says that this was Samuel's place. Okay? What that means is that this was not the first night that Samuel had spent here. You tracking with me? Because this is going to blow your mind when I tell you. This was not the first time that Samuel spent the night next to the Ark of the Covenant. He had been there many nights before. That's why it was known as his place. He had his bed there. That's where he laid down at night. This was the first time that the word of the Lord came to Samuel. He had been there night after night for no telling how long until God had come to him. Now, many of you have gotten frustrated with God because day after day you have opened your Bible, you have bowed your head to pray, and you feel like God has spoken nothing to you. And what I'm telling you is that God is not obligated to speak to you every time you open your Bible. He will. He's not obligated to. But how I know that is because Samuel laid there night after night until God said, tonight's the night that I'm going to speak to you. What we live for as Christians is for God to make the supernatural out of the ordinary, okay? What I mean by that is every day we're going to go through the ordinary. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to other believers about Christ. And a lot of days it's just going to be ordinary, just like it was for Samuel, night after night. But every now and then we live for the supernatural when the Spirit of God breaks through and rises up in your soul when God says, listen to me because I've got a word for you. That's what we live for. It was not his first night there. So here's the question, and we, this is tying into where we've been the past couple weeks. How do we practically put ourselves in the presence of the God on a daily, on a daily, on a daily, I don't, basis? Golly, am I, I'm a third grader this morning. I don't know. Okay. Anybody else want to preach? Okay. How do we, how do we do this practically on a daily basis? What do we do that? Here's a. I want you to write these two words down. <clears throat> Quiet time. Quiet time. Devotional time. If you're a man and you're like, Quiet time sounds too feminine for me, devotional time. Bible reading. Call it whatever you want. This is how we do it every single day. A quiet time or a devotional time is a time each day when we set aside for the specific purpose of coming into the presence of God to hear from. It's a specific time every day where we come to God with a specific purpose to hear from Him and know Him more. And now, hear me when I say this. A lot of you right now are, are writing down notes and you're like, okay, quiet time. So if I just do that from now on, God's going to speak to me. That's not what I'm saying because this is not so much a method as it is cultivating a relationship. For those of you who are married every day, what, you've got a little routine. I don't know when it is. But if you have a good marriage anyway, I'm assuming that there is a specific time you have every day when you come to your wife or you come to your husband with a specific purpose of talking to them and communicating with them and figuring out how their day went, if anything went wrong, or if there's anything you can do to help them. Right? If you've got a good marriage, you have those times where you do that. 
So th- and it's not so much methodical. I don't ever go up to my wife on those days and say, I have to ask you three questions, dear, and you need to answer those three questions so that I can know you more. Right? <laughs> it's not really how that works. We don't approach God like that way either. We come to God the same way we come to want to know our spouse, want to know other people. God, will you reveal yourself to me? God, will you tell me what I should do today? God, tell me how I should live. It's not so much methodical as it is cultivating a relationship. So we have these quiet times for that purpose. And listen, I want to make this as practical as I can for you. I want to give you three tips. I, I, went, and, I went and read this week, and I said, I'm, I want to find the best way to have a good time, quiet time. If you don't have a quiet time, listen to me right now. Here's three tips for you to start having a quiet time tomorrow morning or tonight, whenever it is. Three tips. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, I want you to find the time. Okay? And I, when I say find the time, I'm not just saying Find some time, okay? There's a big difference between find the time and find some time. Because when you wake up in the morning and you say, I'm going to find some time, what you do is you, by about 3.30, you realize I hadn't had any time. Okay? You start finding some time, you're not going to have any time. You need to find the time. Find the time every day when you can say, this is my time to give to God. Nobody else. Find the time. Now, don't be so rigid with this that it ruins the rest of your life, okay? If my, if my one-year-old is screaming, banging her head against the floor, and I say, well, it's Daddy's time for the Lord. Amen. <laughs> right? Don't be so rigid and legalistic with this that you ruin your life. But find a consistent time. And if that time has to change, be willing for that time to change. But find a time, find the time when you can say, okay, God, as much as reasonably, reasonably possible, I'm going to come before you today and every day at this time, and I want you to speak. Find the time. Number two is this. Find a reading plan. Let me tell you what happens for most of us. I'm speaking from human experience here. This is not me picking on you. This is me picking on me. January 1, Genesis 1. All right? February the 31st, Leviticus chapter 3. I never make it to Leviticus chapter 4. All right? Now, some of y'all are just looking at, raise your hand if that's happened to you. All right, I ain't alone in that. Y'all, y'all looking at me like I'm the only one that's never made it through Isaiah all the way by myself, right? That happens to us all. Here's what I want you to do, though. Don't put yourself on such a strict plan that you start in Genesis chapter 1 and you get to Leviticus chapter 5 and you say, well, I'm done. I'm not going to make it through anymore. I want you to find a plan that's flexible enough that's going to make you have a reading that you do every day that is you're saying, God, okay, as much as reasonably possible, I'm going to do this reading every day, whether it's two chapters in the New Testament, whether it's two chapters in the Old Testament, whether it's one in each chapter. I want you to find that reading plan where you can say, okay, God, I'm going to stick to it. And when it gets hard, I, if I got Leviticus 3, praise God, I got a reading in uh, John chapter 1 that I get to go to too, all right? And here's what's going to happen. The more you read through that, the more you read God's word, you're going to find yourself doing the impossible, and you're going to find yourself appreciating that God wrote Leviticus chapter 3. Because hey, that, I can tell you right now, I, Leviticus, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. Leviticus 16, probably one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. Go read it. It's great. But you've got to make yourself appreciate it. And I'm, we're even going to help you out a little bit with this going forward. After the new year, we're going, as a church, we're going, it's probably going to come sometime in February. We're trying to get everything finalized with it right now. As a church, we're going to put out a reading plan, and I'm going to do it, and Jeremy's going to do it, and my connect group's going to do it, and Jeremy's connect group, if you don't know about this yet, you're going to do it. We're all going to do it, okay? And what's going to happen is, I, when you come to me during the week, you're going to say, man, how was that reading? 
And I might tell you Leviticus chapter 3 was the hardest chapter I ever read, but you know what? We're going to be suffering together. And there's going to be some accountability in that. So find yourself a reading plan, and if you don't have one, the church is working on it. We want to help you with that. So find the time, find the reading plan in this. Find at least, one, this is number three, find at least one verse every day to meditate on and pray. If you want to, all right, now I'm about to get real passionate about something. I'm sorry, but I get so mad when I consistently hear people come to me and say, God spoke thus, thus, and thus to me, and there is no meditation, there is no scripture, there is no Bible, okay? Because the main way that God communicates to us over and over, and I'm not saying God's not going to do those things. He does. But 99.5% of the time, it's going to be linked with prayer and scripture. Okay? So hear me with this. Number three is this. You need to find one verse every day when you're reading that you need to meditate on and pray about. The biggest mistake Christians make, and I, man, I'm telling you about this because I know it for a fact in my own personal life. The biggest mistake Christians make is that they separate Bible reading and prayer. This is not two separate conversations. God created this for it to be one conversation. Prayer is how you talk to God. Scripture is how He talks back to you. And if you really want to have a good relationship, you should pray Scripture to yourself because then you get to hear God's Word audibly to yourself. And I'm telling you, I've seen this to be true in my own life. Nothing has changed my life like memorizing Scripture words. When I uh, did, when I when I was uh, running super long distances, uh, somebody like Chad, I don't know how they do it. They run all these crazy miles. I have to find something to, to do in my mind. There is nothing more miserable in your life than running 16 miles on a blank mile. You gotta have, you gotta have something to think about. So what I started doing was I started memorizing chapters of the Bible, and so I was memorizing Ephesians chapter one. I could not tell you a verse of it right now, so don't come up to me after and ask me to do it. All right. But I was, I, I, I was memorizing Ephesians chapter 1, and I was on a run one day, and I got to about Terramore. Everybody know where Terramore is at out here? I got to Terramore, and I heard God say he loved me. You know how I did it? Because I was quoting scripture in my mind, and I asked myself, what does Ephesians 1 through 8 mean? And in, I, in an audible voice in my mind, I heard God say, it means that God loved me so much that before the foundation of the world, he decided he loved me. He spoke it to me. Why? Because it was in my heart. The Holy Spirit brought it up in my mind because I had put it in my heart. We've got to start doing that. So listen, that's, I'm giving you a way. I'm giving you three things. Find the time, find the reading plan, and start meditating on it. Now listen, you can come up to me next week, and I promise you if you say to me, I shouldn't have said I get mad. If you say to me, God spoke this, this, and this, I'm going to say that's awesome that God spoke it to me. Can you back it up with any scripture? Because I don't want you to build your life on anything that's not already revealed in God's Word. And that's just me being 100% honest. I don't want you to bank your life on anything God told you that you can't find in Scripture. You know how I knew God was calling us to plant this church? I kind of felt like God was telling me to plant a church. Jeremy kind of felt like God was telling him to plant a church. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples. So I was like, God, lead us in there. He must be telling us this, right? Build your life on what Scripture says. And Here's, the, here's a, a one last little tip. Don't make any excuses. I read As I was reading this, as I was preparing, I read a story this past week of a man who lived in Kansas City. And this man uh, just came to know Christ, and he worked on some kind, in some kind of factory where there was, it was a dangerous situation. I, I don't know if it was some kind of sugar factory or something, but 
they had a they had an explosion with some chemicals that mixed together that shouldn't have been mixed together. Anyway, I was reading this story about this man, and he was a brand new baby Christian. But in this explosion he had at work, he lost both hands, he lost both eyes, and he he was devastated because as a baby Christian, what he wanted more than anything was to know the Word of God. He wanted to hear God speak to him. He had to do it. So he was devastated. He goes through months devastated because he can't read the Bible. And then he, he, somebody comes to him and tells him about a way that he can read the Bible. They, they, there's somebody who's in a similar situation. And Europe had something happen to him where people have learned to read Braille with their lips. So this man has new life. He's energized. He gets a, Bible, he gets a Braille Bible. He, he, he starts to figure out how to learn Braille. And the first time he touches his, his lips to the Bible, he realizes that not only has he lost both hands and both eyes, but the nerve endings in his mouth have been severed. So he can't feel it on his mouth. So he's devastated once again, but he just keeps trying every day. Maybe he'll feel today. One day he's reading the Bible like this, or trying to, and he accidentally grazes his tongue across the page. He hadn't lost feeling in his tongue. The nerve endings were still there. The man read the Bible with his tongue. When I, at the time of publication that I was reading this book in, he had read through the Bible four times using his tongue. What I've come to realize is that the main reason we don't hear from God is that we don't have the consistency or the urge or the passion to hear from God. I read this, and I wanna, I'm going to close out this point with this. This is a quote from R.C. Sproul. It says, Here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's Word not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is, because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. Number three, if we want to figure out how to put ourselves in a position to continually hear, to continually hear God speak to us, we've got to do this. We've got to humble our hearts. Read verse 8, eight, with me, eight through 10. Our list is starting verse 9. It says, Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. See, what, what God really spoke to me as I was reading through the Scripture is that you've got to notice the posture of Samuel's heart. Samuel comes before God calling himself a servant. Now, this is me preaching to me, and I hope God's preaching to you in some of this. But the main reason a lot of times I don't hear from God is I approach God as, as if he were my equal instead of as if he were my master. Samuel didn't approach God like that. The word here for servant, the Hebrew word is aved, and it can mean servant, but it most likely meant slave, somebody who was under the complete control of another. And what that means is if we want to hear from God, we have to come before God realizing that we're not in charge. God, we got to come before God realizing, like I said to you a second ago, He's not obligated to speak to us. If He speaks to us today, it is by His grace. If He does not speak to us tomorrow, we will be His servant and we will come back again and say, God, what do you want me to do today? If we want to hear from God, we must humble our hearts before Him. We must put ourselves in a position to we say, God, I am not in control. You are in control. And now, if I could be honest with you about where I think I've struggled most this week as I prepared this sermon, is this. 
Because I'm going to tell you something. When I talk to God, I tell God a lot of times how I think it should be. I tell God a lot of times what exactly I've done and how exactly things should proceed from here. And when we do that, what we're saying is, God, we're equals here, and you owe me something. But when we come before God with a humbled heart, and we say, God, you're in control, and I'll do whatever you say, what we're saying is, God, use me however you want to use me. A lot of you, you wonder, you, you worry, because you say, I, God's never revealed to me my purpose. God's never told me specifically what I should do. The main reason he's probably not revealed to you his purpose is because you're approaching him as if you were equals, and God cannot tell his equal what to do. You want to have some purpose in your life? Submit yourself to Christ and say, God, show me what you want me to do in my life. Then he'll give you some purpose. Number four, last thing is this. So in order, I said we need to figure out how to put ourselves in a posture where we can continually be in position to hear from God, right? So I said we've got to understand what makes the Lord's word rare, the Lord, the word of the Lord rare. I'm telling God this morning, I'm really We've got to understand what makes the word of the Lord rare. We've got to put ourselves continually in God's presence. We've got to humble our hearts. Here's the fourth thing, number four. We need to know how God will speak to us. Okay? We need to know how God's going to speak to us. Read with me verse 10 one more time. It says, And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak for your servant hears." What we see right here, and what we see many times in the Old Testament, is that when God gets ready to reveal himself in a special way, he comes down from heaven and physically in the presence, probably in the presence of Christ's body, because we know God doesn't have a body. That's a bigger thing. Christ, Christ comes down and he reveals himself physically. The Bible says he stood before Samuel, okay? He spoke with an audible voice. Now hear me when I say this. This is going to, I don't want this to shock y'all. I don't want y'all to think I'm a heretic, but this is just what we get from the New Testament. We should not expect God to speak to us in the same fashion that God spoke to Samuel. Listen, God can do whatever he wants. You come in here and tell me that you saw God in a physical manifestation and he stood before you and spoke in an audible voice and I'm going to have my doubts. First of all, the Bible says nobody can see God and live. So I'm going to be like, well, you didn't because you're still breathing. All right? I'm not, we shouldn't expect God to speak to us like that. Why? I'm going to give you two reasons why we shouldn't expect God to speak to us like that. Here's the first one. The Holy Spirit inside of us. And number two, God's revealed will in front of us in the Bible. God has made things in such a way where he no longer needs to come down and speak to you in a physically manifested form. Because God has put himself in you and he has revealed everything that he wants to do right here. Do you know, let me tell you something. Do you know that when you hold this in your hand, you hold more revelation than Samuel ever got? God came to Samuel and spoke a word. God has given us all of his word. So many of us, listen, so many of us hear this story about Samuel, and man, we just get jealous of how God spoke to Samuel. Oh man, I just wish God would come down and speak to me like that. Man, that would be so cool. I wish God would reveal himself to me. That's the most foolish talk I've ever heard. 
Because listen, you got to understand this. We treat the Holy Spirit like he's not God sometimes. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. That means he is very much himself God. And God inside of you is better than God in front of you every now and then. Do you realize if you are a Christian that every moment you wake up, God has chosen you as his tabernacle to dwell in here on earth? The presence of God that Samuel, y'all picture my ark over here, Samuel was laying beside. Samuel could not go into God's presence without fear of himself getting killed. And what God has done for us is that he has given us a new heart so that God's very presence dwells inside of us. Samuel couldn't go in because he was going to die, and we live with him inside of us. Unlike Samuel, the Word of God should not be rare in your life. Christian, listen, if you're here this morning you're not hearing from God, is there something wrong going on? The Word of God should not be rare in your life. Why? Because the Holy Spirit continually, continually speaks into us. He continually guides our life. He can, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, the Holy Spirit continually convicts us. There is not very many days that go by where God does not crush me for my sin because the Holy Spirit is living in me. And the Holy Spirit continually empowers us to live right. God is living in us and the Word of God should not be rare. There's another reason the Word of God should not be rare. The Word of God should not be rare because we have God's revealed will now let me tell you something about this Bible. This Bible is not the complete mind of God. There's nothing that could hold the complete mind of God. But what I'm telling you about this Bible, and I'm a firm believer of this, is that this is everything God wanted you to be have about himself. This is a, his complete revelation, revelation that he needs to get from you. I don't know how familiar you are with the New Testament, but Jesus closes out the Bible with these words, whoever adds or whoever takes away from this word, let him be damned. Let him be healed. He's revealed everything you need to know right here. And now, Nothing is more frightening to me than the way we treat the Bible in modern society. And y'all already, y'all have already heard me say, I think the ordinary should be turned into the supernatural. I'm not saying that when we read this Bible, supernatural things won't happen. Okay? Very much so supernatural things will happen in our heart and in our life when we read this Bible. But nothing's more frightening to me than the way we devalue the Bible. Because it's a scary thing. When God has already given you his complete revelation and you want to be talked to by some other fashion. It is a scary thing for somebody to come to me and say, I know what the Bible says about this, but I'm just asking God to confirm it. Everything in me wants to say some, something about somebody being dumb, but I'm not going to do it, right? It's a scary thing for somebody to say, I'm still seeking the word of the Lord on X when God's already told you the word of the Lord on X. You know Peter in 2nd go read this for yourself because I want you to see it's not just in there but I, we don't have time to read it right now but it's in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 16 through verse 21. Peter says he, he says that Christ was confirmed to him through the transfiguration. For any of y'all who don't know what that, what that is it's one day Christ takes himself and he takes three disciples up on the mountain. And while they're up on the mountain, 
God, the glory of God comes down and Moses and Elijah are actually speaking with Jesus. And God comes down and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Peter saw this with his own eyes, okay? Peter said, Christ was confirmed to me because I saw it. I, saw, I heard God speaking. Then he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed than at the transfiguration. Now catch what that means. He says, I saw it with my own eyes, but if you had to give me a choice between seeing it with my own eyes or reading it with my own eyes, I'm going to take the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He says, this Bible is more to be, is to be chosen more than any other experience, any other feeling, any other sight that you have of God. So I'm just going to bank my life on what it says. If you've got a man who sees God and says, yeah, that was great, but I would rather have the Bible every morning, I'm going to bank my life on what he says. Not saying, hear me say this. I'm not saying God won't speak to you in other ways. Because we have to have prayer. We have to have community. We have to have uh, people speaking truth into us. We have to have worship songs. But what I'm telling you is that all of those things are going to come back to and be confirmed by this. It is the anchor for our salvation. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable teaching for proof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped listen to this for every good work what is Peter said what is Paul said to us there he said that in God's word you have all you need to do everything God has asked you to do did he say you have everything you need to do some of the things God has asked you to do and that's not what he said he said, you have everything you need to do most of the things you need to do, but you're still going to need to be spoken to in dreams and visions and all these other things still besides this. That's not what he said. He says, if you have the Bible and the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have everything you need to do everything that God has called you to do. And when, guys, listen to me, when God speaks to us in other ways, whether it be worship songs or people or circumstances in our lives, we should praise God for His grace in that and not say, oh, it's not God speaking. We should praise God for His grace in that and say, God, confirm it in your word. So here's what I would tell you this morning. If you are hungry for God to speak in your life, I would suggest you pray. Tomorrow morning, I suggest you get up and pray. Holy Spirit, come inside of me right now and show me how you want me to live. Speak to me in a way that's real. I would suggest you pray that. And I suggest you would open your Bible and start reading. That's not going to be easy. There are going to be days that it's hard. We're lazy. We don't want to do it. But if you want to hear from God, get those distractions, get that sin, get that apathy out, come to God in His presence and pray, and then open His Word and see what happens. God says this in James 4, If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. He said, Don't worry about me on my end. You just take care of your end. I'll... God, the thing about God is what he says is true, so don't worry about God on his end. He's going to take care of that. This is how those of us who have a relationship with God should expect to hear from him, okay? But I don't want to go past this. Russ, if you can pull up Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. There are some of us here today who all of this sounds well and good, 
But the reality is you don't have a personal relationship with God, so none of this means anything to you because you don't, you're not saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered your life to Christ. All of what I'm talking about depends on you have saying, God, you're in control. I surrender my life to you. Only you can save me. If you hadn't done that this morning, then th this doesn't apply to you. None of what I just said. But I want you to know that as I was reading the Bible, the Bible says God has a word for you this morning. Listen to me. God, in his immense grace and mercy, has a word for lost people. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, the Bible explicitly says this is the word for you. Let's read it in Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. Long ago, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. I got it written down on my page. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's what we just saw, okay? Samuel getting the word of the Lord. That's how God used to speak to people. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Get this now. The Bible's saying here that God used to come to people and speak to them by prophets. But that's not how he speaks to people anymore. He has given us a final word. And listen, God's final word is that he has made a way for every single person who wants to know God to do it. God's final word is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. And now listen, if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, what God's final word is calling out to you, it's screaming at you. And I want you to hear God's final word to you. God's final word to you is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And what that word says to you is repent of your sin. What that word says to you is turn away from your sin. What that word says to you is that every sin you've ever committed is covered by the blood of Christ. That you can die and you will not be held guilty for not one thing you've ever done. Think about this. And this is, this is the most amazing thing in the world to me. My mind is the most sinful, just it's sinful, right? Somebody come up to me and they say, well, you should do this. And I'm like, I'll tell you what you should do, right? I mean, anybody else, anybody else your mind is just sinful? Uh, you just think things that you shouldn't think. And like if it wasn't for you biting your tongue off or you telling yourself not to think a certain way, man, people would just hate you and you'd be the worst sinner ever, right? This is what that word says to me, that even down to the deepest, darkest thought that has ever crossed my mind that it is forgiven and that Christ knows about it and that Christ on the cross said I'll forgive you. That is God's final word to you this morning. And if you don't have a relationship the cross and the empty tomb are screaming out for you this morning to say trust in Christ, give your life to Christ and follow Christ. And so as we, we're about to pray, we're, I'm going to be standing right here over in this corner. I'm going to ask a couple of members of my prayer team to be standing right here over this corner. If you have never surrendered your life to Christ, God has that word for you this morning. I pray that you would hear it and receive it. We'll be waiting right over there to pray for you. If you're saved this morning, it's high time that we start hearing the word of the Lord. It's not complicated. We make it, we make it complicated. But if you've got the Holy Spirit in you and you've got a Bible and you surround yourself with Christians, you'll hear from God. And it's time we get serious about that. And so I'm going to ask you, if that's you this morning, Christian, and you, and you want to know Him, 
Just come pray to him. Say, God, I want to know you. He'll do his part. You got to do yours. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. God, there is no doubt that this message this morning was from me, God, because I need to hear from you, God. Lord, I repent of the sins in my life. I repent of the distractions in my life. I repent of the apathy in my life, dear God. And I pray that the word of the Lord would not be rare, God, to speak in me in a way that matters. God, let us all hear from you, God. Please, God, work in a way that only you can for the glory of your name.